Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. I'm going to be reading the scriptures for us this morning. If you're able to, if you uh, would please rise for the reading of God's Word. We're in Exodus chapter 32. We're going to read all 20 verses from God's Word. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Wasn't sure what became of me there. Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once. For your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now, Then let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them, and I will make you a great nation. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, and all this land of which I have spoken I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which we which he said he would do to his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. The tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. Now when Joshua heard the sound of the people, as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of the cry of triumph, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf which they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for your precious word. How we thank you for this expression of your mind. How we thank you for your wisdom in recording it, that we may read it, that we may see what transpired in the lives of your people after the Exodus, and that you would be pleased to teach us by your Holy Spirit by it. Help us, dear God, to have ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind to understand, a heart to receive, and a will to obey all that we hear and learn today and bring you glory. 
from our lives. We ask all this for your name's sake. Amen. You may be seated. As we continue seeing how Moses answers the call of God, we come to this passage. This passage occurs 40 days after chapter 24 that our brother Gilson preached to us last week. It's not even six weeks later. Moses has gone up in the mountain. He was there 40 days and 40 nights. And not six weeks later, just 40 days later, we find the people engaged in idolatry. As our brother Gilson told us, three times the children of Israel said, all that the Lord says we will do, and once they even double down on it, we will do and obey. That was their promise as God ratified the covenant through Moses with the sprinkling of blood. They agreed to be bound by all the instructions, all the commands, all the teachings of the covenant God made with them, and yet not six weeks later, we find them in violation of it. God gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 6. The first two commandments are, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto thyself a graven image or an idol. You shall not worship them or serve them. And here in this chapter, not six weeks later, we find them violating these first two commands. Now, you might be thinking, well, Paul, uh, what does this have to do with the Christian today, in this day and age? I mean, I don't bow down to idols. I don't venerate the icons and sacred relics. I don't pray to anyone but God and Christ. What does this have to do with me? This is idolatry. This is gross idolatry. How does this apply to the Christian today? Here's how it applies to me and to every one of you who hears my voice and sees the scriptures that we're going to be looking at today. Someone has well said, the heart of man is an idol factory. Not idol inactive, but idol. We make idols of the heart, in our heart. What are some of these idols? I'm going to name for you just nine of them. It's not all-inclusive. But here's nine idols that probably everyone here, including myself, one or more of these idols we have manufactured in our heart and we have treasured and we have bowed down and worshipped them in a sense. Acceptance, appearance, control, fairness, materialism, pleasing people, seeking to please people, the desire for prosperity, pursuing pleasure and security. These are idols of the heart. And I don't think any one of us is immune from one or more of these idols or some others that I ha don't have time to mention. I don't want to focus on these because we have 20 verses to go through about idolatry because that's what this passage is all about. How do we, I just want to mention one more thing. How do we recognize that these things are, in fact, idols? Here's some ways that we can recognize idols of the heart. I will sin if I don't get whatever it is. Security, prosperity, uh, a new job, uh, a relationship, uh, health. Whatever. I will sin to get it. Uh, I will sin if I don't get it. I will sin in order to get it. We feel, I need this. Look, God has granted to us, the scripture says, everything pertaining to life and godliness. If we have not received it, the Lord doesn't think we need it or the time is not right for it. There's more important things he wants us to learn in order to live a life 
that is conformed to the character of our Lord Jesus Christ and brings Him glory. I need this. I want this. I want it so bad. I must have this. If these are our thoughts, be be wary that we have an idol in our heart. I have a right to. I deserve this. This is my right. You know, the Scripture tells us very clear in the New Testament, we are slaves of Christ. A slave has no rights. His master has all the rights. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord and master. We have a right to nothing. If we claim a right, there's one right that we really deserve. Eternal condemnation separated from God or God and Christ because of our sin. That's the only thing we have a right to. Everything else is by grace. Salvation is by grace through faith. God's blessings in life are all grace. He owes us no blessing in this life. Yet as a loving father, a wise father, he bestows so many blessings upon us. But this is how to recognize idols of the heart. The title of today's message is, This is Your God. Now, I know Aaron said that, or the Jews said that, of the golden calf. They said to one another, This calf is your God. I'm spinning this, though, because in these 20 verses, which we read together, God is presented in a certain way. And we're going to see what that way is. The calf is not our God. Prosperity, uh, acceptance, fairness, materialism, these idols of the heart, pleasure, these are not our God. We're going to see what this passage brings out about our God. This passage is really about idolatry. They made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel. The Lord said to Moses, now then let my anger burn against them that I may destroy them. In these 20 verses, the Lord is revealed as being a holy God who will judge idolatry, but who can be entreated with prayer, just like Moses entreated him in prayer in these verses. If you take one thing away from this morning's message, let it be this. The Lord will judge idolatry. And we should intercede with him in prayer, not only for our own idolatry, our own idols of our heart, but for others as well. Because no one is immune, as we'll see. This passage breaks down into four parts. Each of these will present God to us. This is your God relative to idolatry. Your God is easily replaced by idols. Imagine that. It is so easy for us to replace the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord our God, with idols. And we're going to see that in the first six verses. Your God is not pleased by idolatry. Your God wants you to understand how serious idolatry is. It's covered in the second commandment, right after that first one. Not to have any other gods before the Lord. The first two commands deal with the preeminence, the priority of God in the life of a believer. God wants you to understand idolatry is serious. It's not something that is minor. Your God wants you to be displeased by idolatry. He's not pleased by it. He wants us to be displeased by idolatry as well. So let's get right into this and see how is God in this passage replaced by idols? When God acts differently than what you desire, this can lead to idolatry. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people said to Aaron, come, make us a God who will go before us. 
These people had a plan. They didn't want to be stuck in the wilderness any more than what they felt was necessary. They wanted to get to that promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. When God acts differently than what you and I desire, we can end up in idolatry just like the children of Israel did here. Our heart will manufacture idols to take the place of the God who seems absent simply because his timetable is not our timetable. Simply because what he wants for our life is not what we want for our life. We have plans. We want to get moving. We want a blessing. We want to achieve a certain goal, a certain end, just like they did. They made an idol that your hands could hold, your hands could touch. Our heart makes idols as well when God acts differently than what we desire or expect from him. When you focus on man, this also can lead to idolatry. When God is not our primary focus, when Christ is not always before our eyes, when our focus is on man, this can lead to idolatry. The people saw that Moses, notice Moses, his name is brought out here, saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. The people said to Aaron, as if Aaron was going to be the one to provide a solution. They turned to him. We don't read about them praying to the Lord. Remember, they're in front of Mount Sinai. Remember from the previous messages what was going on at Mount Sinai? The Lord descended to Mount Sinai. There were earthquakes. There was thunder. There was a lightning. There was a shimmering cloud. That was still on top of Mount Sinai. And yet the people don't look to Sinai. They, what's happened to Moses? Well, he's up in that cloud. The Lord's still there. They could see the presence of the Lord. Instead, they look to Moses, and then they look to Aaron. And say to him, come, make us a God. As for this Moses, we do not know what has become of him. This verse is focused on man. And when we focus on men or women, when we focus on a person to fulfill our needs, to give us what only God and Christ can rightly give us, this can lead to idolatry. We all know about putting people up on a pedestal. This leads to idolatry. God says, I am the Lord thy God, and my glory I will not share with another. God doesn't want to share his glory with any person. When you focus on God's blessings more than you focus on God, idolatry results. Aaron said, tear off the gold rings in the ears and bring them to me. All the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Remember how they got this gold? They were slaves in Egypt. Slaves didn't own gold. Remember what God said? He said, tell all the women, go to their neighbors and ask for gold and silver and nice clothing, and they'll give it to you. This was a blessing from God. They got the gold as a blessing from God when they left Egypt. This was a blessing that they focused on. This is the focus here. How are we going to make a God, an idol? For us, it's an idol of our heart. When we focus on the bl blessing more than the blesser, when we focus on the gift more than the giver, the purpose of blessings and gifts from God is for us to thank him, us to have overflowing gratitude and appreciation for all that he's done. And what's the greatest gift he's given us? His beloved son, who went to the cross bearing our sins in his body that, and provided us with salvation. Brothers and sisters, let every gift and blessing from God just cause us to look upward to God and Christ, the source 
of that blessing and that gift. Never focus more on gifts and blessings than you do on the giver of that gift, on the one who blesses us with the blessing. Material things can become idols. That was one of the nine idols of the heart that I mentioned. Aaron took this gold and made it into a molten calf. This blessing, these gold earrings, were made into the idol that they would call their God and that they would bow down to and worship. They made it into a molten calf and they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Material things can become idols. And that works two ways. The Lord Jesus Christ made that very clear in the parable of the sower. As he explains the parable, he says, the cares of this world, focusing on those who are in poverty, who have needs, and they don't have the means to meet those needs. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, those who have plenty, those riches, those materials can become idols. <clears throat> in this day and age, in this country, all of us here, compared to so much of the rest of the world, we are wealthy people. We lack nothing or we lack very little. Materialism can be an idol of the heart. Be careful of that. No one is immune from idolatry. Now, when Aaron, Aaron was left in charge. Remember uh, the message our brother Gilson preached? He, he talked about the fact that Moses left Aaron in charge in case there were any issues any disputes or legal matters that needed to be resolved while Moses was up on Mount Sinai meeting with the Lord God. Aaron was left in charge. He's the head honcho now when Moses is up on the mountain. When Aaron saw this, that the people said, this golden calf is our God, Aaron then gets caught up in the idolatry. Not only did he make it, but now he's going to build an altar in front of it, and he made a proclamation, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. No one, not me, not any of you, should ever think that we're immune from idolatry of heart. We will all create idols, sometimes out of the most insignificant things, sometimes out of important things, but no one is immune from idolatry. You can even make an idol out of your religious life. The next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. They were engaging in religious activity. We can even make an idol out of religious activity. Maybe it's a ministry we serve in. Uh, something that we do for the Lord. We focus more on what we do we focus more on our service than on the one that we're serving. And when we do that, we make an idol out of that aspect of our religious life. Whether it be the songs that we sing, whether it be in the shower like I do sometimes, because I would never subject any of you to my voice, now you know how to pray for my wife. She has to hear me sometimes singing. Whether it be uh, a ministry that we're in, doesn't matter what it is, when we focus more on that, even the Word of God. The Word of God, we don't worship the Bible. We don't worship the Word of God. We worship the God revealed in Scripture, revealed in the Bible. The Bible is a vehicle it's the means by which God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And that's the value. But we don't focus on anything but God and Christ. We can make an idol even out of things in our religious life, even out of the word of God. When you make an idol out of your religious life, you fashion it in the way that you desire 
and you become the center of it. God is no longer the center of it when we fashion an idol out of our religious life. So the next day they rose up early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Notice who's not mentioned here. The Lord God isn't mentioned here. It's the people. That is the focus of what they're doing. They sat down to eat and drink. They wanted their religious life to be about them. They were at the center of it. It had to do with their ease, their needs. But it got even worse than that. Remember, we mentioned in a previous message that the people learned about the gods of Egypt and what these gods were like. And there was sexual immorality involved with the gods. Sexual immorality was a participation in the divine. That's what they learned in Egypt. God got them out of Egypt. Now he spends the next 40 years. He gets them out of the world. Egypt is a picture of the world. And now he spends the next 40 years getting the world out of them. That word play is a mild word. It's being substituted for something else. That Hebrew word that's translated play there has to do with sexual activity. They rose up to engage in religious prostitution. It was all about them. They fashioned their religion as they saw fit, following this idol that looked like an animal. Remember the gods of Egypt? They had the heads of animals, a crocodile or a jackal or a falcon. They made a golden calf to be their god. Not just the head, but the whole calf. And they engaged in a religion that they made. When we deviate from God's prescribed way, we're making religion about us and what we want it to be like instead of following what God has laid down in his word. Now, I can't tell you over the years, over the last 50, almost 50 years as a believer in Christ, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say about the way church is practiced, well, I don't like that. That doesn't really appeal to me. Oh, but it's in Scripture. Let me show you what the Scripture says. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I don't really like that. It doesn't appeal to me. What they've just done is they've made an idol out of their religious life and they want to fashion it as they desire so that they're the center of it. That's their version of rising up to play. So God is easily replaced by idols, but he's not pleased by idolatry, as we're going to see. Your idolatry, your idolatry and my idolatry of heart cannot be hidden from God. God told Samuel, don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature, for the Lord does not look upon man as man looks, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart, the Lord told Samuel. Our idolatry of heart cannot be hidden from God any more than the idolatry of Israel in Exodus 32. The Lord spoke to Moses. Remember, he's up on Mount Sinai. They're down at the foot of the mountain. That's where the golden calf is. That's where their revelry is, where their feast, where their playing is. The Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once. Your people have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it. God knew. It wasn't hidden from them. We can't hide the idols of our heart from the Lord any more than that golden calf was hidden from the Lord. God was not pleased with their idolatry. God is not pleased with your idolatry of heart. He's not pleased with my idolatry of heart. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen they are an obstinate people. Leave me that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. God was not pleased at all with idolatry. He will 
He does not wish to share his glory with any idol, whether it be a golden calf or one of our heart. God wants you to understand how serious idolatry is. God understands it's serious. His anger burned as a result of it. He wanted to destroy his people as a result of it. God wants us to understand how serious idolatry of heart is. This may be, in a general sense, maybe the most common sin of the people of God. Idolatry of heart. It might be. And we don't think much of it. Sometimes we don't even recognize it. But God wants us to understand how serious idolatry is. God wants you to understand that even that you need to be prayerful about idolatry, even in others. Moses entreated. He prayed to the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt? God wants us to understand, just as he's revealed in Exodus 32 here, he wants us to be prayerful about idolatry of heart in our own life and in the life of others. Make this a matter of prayer, both for yourself and for others, that God would open our eyes to the idols that our heart manufactures to replace him. God wants you to understand that idolatry can lead to a poor testimony which will also reflect poorly upon God. Moses prayed to the Lord, why should the Egyptians say with evil intent he brought them out to kill them and to destroy them? That would be blasphemy. That is slander against the Lord God. That's not why he brought them out. And yet their idolatry could end up leading to that. It was a poor testimony. When you and I desire whatever the idol is, materialism, acceptance from others, control, security in our life, pleasure, when that's seen by the world, they shrug their shoulders and they think, well, Johnson's no different than I am. How is he different? He says he's a Christian. I mean, he wants the same things out of life. He wants the same things that I want. That's not a good testimony, if that was what I presented to others. And it reflects poorly upon God. I guess God can't do very much in the life of a person. It reflects poorly upon God. You've given great occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the Scripture says. May it be that your life and mine never has that characteristic. Let us always be, by God's power, by His Holy Spirit, the best testimony of what Christ can do in the life of a believer. And we can start with idolatry of heart. Removing those idols from our heart. God wants you to understand that only his promises stops him from judging your idolatry now. Turn from your burning anger, Moses prays. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. This is written from man's perspective, from Moses' perspective. It appeared that the Lord had changed his mind, but from eternity past, the Lord already knew what would happen. He already knew what he planned to do. But it's his promises, his word, you swore by yourself. Let none of us think for one moment that God doesn't care about idolatry. I mean, if God really cared, you know, why doesn't he strike me dead right now with lightning from heaven? because I have idols in my heart. God has promised to complete a good work in every believer in Christ and to bring us into glory, into the salvation reserved for us in heaven. He has promised this in his word to every child of God. It is his promises to you and I 
that stays his hand from judging the idolatry of heart and bringing about our demise. Only his promises stops him from judging the idolatry in our life now. Lastly, God wants you to be displeased by idolatry, and Moses will be an example of this in these closing verses. Only God's word will cause you to be displeased by idolatry. Notice the focus on God's word in this verse. Moses went down from the mountain with the two tablets that held the Ten Commandments in his hand. The tablets were God's work, just like God's word is God's work, and it's It's an expression of the mind of God, everything that he wants us to know and understand about himself and how to live a life that's pleasing to him. The tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing. God's word. Moses carried it with him. He could have left those tablets up on the mountain. Instead, he's bringing them down with him. May God's word always be near us, in our heart, in our mind. That we would always love the Lord thy God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. We sang that this morning, didn't we? Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, in Hebrew. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Let us always have that in our heart, in our mind. Only God's word will cause you and I to be displeased by idolatry. You will not be displeased by idolatry when you don't recognize it. Joshua heard the sound of the people. He said to Moses, there is a sound of, not idolatry, but of war in the camp. He didn't recognize it as idolatry. So he didn't call it out as idolatry. He didn't have the same reaction that Moses had. But Moses said it's not the sound of the cry of triumph or victory in war, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat, no wailing. But it's the sound of singing, I hear. Joshua didn't recognize it as idolatry, and so he wasn't displeased by what happened. When we don't recognize idolatry, we're not displeased by it. But I wonder, how much idolatry do you and I miss? How much is still there that we miss? And so we're not displeased by it. May God open our eyes to the idols of our heart so that we can do what Moses did and destroy those idols. You should be displeased when you recognize idolatry, whether it be in our own heart or in someone else, if we recognize what we think is idolatry. It should displease us. It should cause us to do what Moses did and pray to the Lord. As soon as, as soon as, immediately, Moses saw, when he saw the calf and dancing, his anger burned. As soon as he saw He became angry. That is the response to idolatry, a righteous anger that the Lord is not being honored in the heart of a believer in Christ, in our own heart, or when we perceive it in someone else. We shouldn't necessarily pass a harsh judgment, but we can go and ask that person questions about what we see. Get them to think and open up and perhaps recognize that it is an idol of their heart, their focus on materialism or whatever it happens to be, control, security, prosperity. We should be displeased by idolatry. It shouldn't be something that has no effect upon us. You know, we're very often displeased by things in the world or in our country or that our government or elected officials do, and we're shocked and we're imagined They're allowing this now? This is now legal? We we very easily are displeased or angered by things we see in the world, but we give a pass to 
the foul blackness of our own heart and the idols that our heart produce. It should never be that way. We should judge ourselves as harshly as we judge the evils in the world when we see the evil of idolatry in our heart. You should respond to idolatry properly and not let your displeasure improperly control you. As soon as Moses saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' Moses anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them. This was the wrong thing to do. This was God's work. God made those tablets. God wrote on them. After this, Moses will end up going back in the mountain. This time, God is not going to give him the tablets. God is not going to write on the tablets. If you continue reading in Exodus, you'll find out Moses had to chisel out the tablets, carve them out, and then engrave on them. This was the wrong thing to do, to shatter God's word. The end does not justify the means. That's never the right way to deal with something that is wrong. We have a saying. Everybody knows this. Two wrongs don't make a right. We say the end doesn't justify the means. Anger needs to be controlled. Out of control anger is never righteous anger. We should respond properly and never let our emotions, our displeasure, or our anger, even over idolatry, control us. We're always to be in control. The Lord Jesus Christ was in control. He cleansed the temple at the start of his ministry, and three years or so later, at the end of his ministry. He overturned tables, but he wasn't out of control. He didn't harm the doves. Only the money he tossed when he overturned the table. But he didn't harm the doves. He wasn't out of control when he made a scourge of cords. This was not uh, an Indiana Jones bullwhip that he made. It wasn't a cat of nine tails. It wasn't a flagrum like he would be flogged with. With the flesh ripped from his bones. Basically, the words in the Greek text there are what are called diminutives. He made a scourget of cordets. It was more like a feather duster. And he waved it and drove the money changers out of the temple. He didn't go about beating them. He was in control the whole time. Never let our displeasure, even displeasure over sin against God, control us. Righteous anger is always in control. And then lastly, you should be displeased that idolatry disgraces you and will make you sick. Moses took the calf which they made and he burned it with fire. He melted it into a sheet. And then that sheet of gold, he ground the powder, he scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink of it. I want to bring out three things here that are implicit in this verse. Okay, I'm not going to preach these dogmatically, but I'm going to tell you that there are scientific reasons why what I'm about to say could very well be true. I'm not going to explain all the science. If you want to know, ask me afterwards. I'll talk to you about the characteristics of light, the physics associated with light, and how that comes into play here. Uh, Other things I'll mention, and I'm going to try and be discreet and tactful about the third thing I want to say here about this passage. He grounded the powder and scattered it over the surface of the water. Remember, they were looking to that idol to lead them. They said, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. This is the God who redeemed you. Some of this powdered gold. Some of the larger pieces would, of course, fall to the bottom of the water. Others, because it's not like a paper towel, which gets wet and might sink, gold is not wettable. It's not going to absorb any water. 
the tiny, tiniest powder would float on the surface of the water. The characteristics of light being what they are, it is possible that that water would have taken on a red or blood red color. Moses would write in Leviticus, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. It was not a golden calf who would redeem them, who did redeem them out of Egypt, out of the world. It is blood that redeems, the blood of Jesus Christ that redeems. That water may have had a reddish hue to it. They needed to drink of something that would remind them of blood in order to have true redemption. There is no redemption outside of the blood of Christ. He shed his blood for the remission of sins, the Scripture says, for everyone who will place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. No other idol, whether it be the work of your hands whether it be the idol of prayer, the idol of giving money for good causes, all of those are idols that will not redeem any more than that golden calf brought them out of Egypt, any more than that golden calf parted the Red Sea. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. The second thing, they were drinking powdered gold. I don't know how much they drank, but it's very possible that some of them might have developed some mild symptoms of heavy metal poisoning. They may have gotten an upset stomach. They may have been nauseous. Uh, they may have had a headache. They may have had disorientation. They may have had achy joints. Idolatry made them sick to some degree, probably mild. This was not long-term drinking of powdered gold. Idolatry will make you and I spiritually sick. It's not good for our soul. It's not good for our relationship with God. It'll make our heart ache for the pure goodness of God in Christ. Idolatry will make us spiritually sick. And then lastly... I, I, I don't want to wax vulgar here. I don't want to be vulgar here. God gives sometimes shocking object lessons, shocking reminders to drive home a truth. Remember when we studied Abraham? Remember what, what I taught so long ago? Abraham got impatient, waiting for God to fulfill the promise of a son. And he fulfilled that promise in the flesh. He tried to raise up a child through Sarah's handmaiden. What did God do in the next chapter? He told him, circumcise yourself and all the men in your household. God gave Abraham a daily reminder Every day, Abraham would know, never fulfill the promises of God in the flesh. God gave him that reminder, circumcision. God is not beyond giving very pointed, very powerful object lessons to remind us of something. How many here have ever owned a dog? How many here have ever given their dog a real bone? Maybe a, a cow shank or something like that. Have you ever done that? You know what happens the next day. Okay? You let the dog out in the morning. The dog does what a dog needs to do. The bone is white. Calcium is a white powdered mineral. Well, you get the idea. You see what they had the day before. This golden calf was so valuable to them. This was their God. This is what they wanted more than anything else. This is like the idols of our heart. 
the next day after they drank this water, they would see what they valued most really was. You get my point. I, I don't want to be more graphic than that. The idols of the heart are no better than that. They do us no more good than that. It's something we want to be rid of. Something we want to get out of us. That's how terrible idolatry is. This is the reminder the Lord gave them. Unbelievable. Let us, by God's help, by His grace, by the power of His Holy Spirit, purge our heart of idols. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, regarding his great religious attainment in Judaism, he was held up as a remarkable Jew. As to the law, he was found blameless. And then he says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And the New American Standard says, count them but rubbish. The word can be rubbish, but the word also is used that Greek word translated rubbish is also used of something else and the King James Version captures it. And count it but dung, but manure, in order that I may gain Christ. God showed them what idolatry was the next day. May we divest ourselves of all the idols of our heart by His power and for His glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for your goodness to us. Help us, dear God, uh, we pray to worship you and you only, to bow down to you and you only, serve you and you only. Rid our hearts of idols, and we give you all the praise and glory for doing so. Amen.